1: offering perspectives of hope through Jesus Christ. Today, we're reaching into the vault for a classic interview. When I hosted this show in Hawaii, I'm joined with my co-host, Suzanne Maurer. Join us now. Open your heart to what God has to say to you. If God performed a miracle and saved your child's life, how would that change the way you live? Linda Oliver has sung for the First Lady, Laura Bush, and at the inaugurations of governors. She's organized presidential, gubernatorial, and U.S. congressional campaigns and served four Alabama governors. Her leadership in resource development has ensured major medical research facilities the ability to offer world-class medical care. today. She also shares the story of the miracle recovery of her daughter Ashley from a car accident. Have you ever experienced shocking moments and have had to recover from them and put your life back together? Well, Linda Oliver knows all about that as she shares today, but she also wants to share with us about what Christ has done in her life. And that's why we're here at the Good Life Radio Program to share the message of Christ, who loves you so much. He died on the cross for your sins. He shed his blood on that cross to wash your sins away. And, the, and three days later, he rose again from the grave. The living Christ, who has touched Linda Oliver, will touch you today, dear friend. Linda Oliver is a highly sought-after conference speaker. Uh, She's the founder of Hope for the Nation. It's a progressive network of compassionate volunteers giving hope through loving acts of kindness uh, to the hopeless and brokenhearted in America. This is a pre-recorded interview that Suzanne Maurer and I had with her. Uh, Join us in this time, and uh, Suzanne and I will be back with some comments.
2: Enjoy. Linda Oliver. Linda, where did you grow up?
3: Danny, I was born in Montgomery, Alabama, just a little uh, beautiful city, the capital of Alabama, and um, then moved to Birmingham about 30 years ago. So I reside in Birmingham today.
1: Who influenced you most in your growing up years?
3: I would say there were two people that influenced me most. My mother, because my mother was a woman of prayer. And I am no stranger to prayer and miracles. Um, we did not have a lot of money. And so when the cat got sick, we could not take the cat to the vet uh, just readily. But Mama would pray for our kitty cats, And as a little child, I would remember sitting with my mom. And one particular incident, a uh, cat had been in a fight and lost its eye. And we prayed for that kitty cat. and. Two weeks later, my mother called me to the window and said, come here and look. And Danny, I promised you that cat had a new eye and mm-hmm. was, was a beautiful new eye. And one time when my dad was traveling, he was a salesman. He had terrific high blood pressure and it had been so high, the headache blinded him and he was passing out and uh, going off the edge of the road about to head to a ravine. And he... uh Asked the Lord to help him, and uh, somehow the Lord did. And the next day, um, he called Mama and said, "Please pray, I I can't go on." And I had a little brother by then, and we sat in the hall floor and prayed. And the Lord healed my daddy of that high blood pressure. And to his dying day, years and years later, he never had high blood pressure again. Mm. So I've seen those things through my mother, and then through my daddy who was a raging, angry, broken boy somewhere in his childhood. He had been severely abused and broken. Um, his father and brother for his 15th birthday took him to the woods, gave him his birthday, whoopin, mm-hmm. they called it, and his back was fractured. And he laughed about it, but it was a serious situation. And so that rage manifested itself. And when Sunday, when I was 10 years old, my mother had begged him, begged him to go to church. And he cussed like a sailor, smoked three packs of cigarettes a day and just angry. And that morning as we sat there I beside my daddy, I felt the Holy Spirit come down that aisle and it he rested right at, at my dad's side and tears poured down my dad's face with not a word said. And he accepted the Lord as his Savior and he became an humble, weeping gentleman and we stopped at the Alabama River Bridge on the way home, and he unloaded uh, cases of cigarettes. We threw them over into the river, and my dad never picked up a cigarette nor had a desire to smoke again in his life.
4: Hmm. What a beautiful well, testimony to okay. <laughs> Praise God.
1: <Yeah. laughs> so growing up in your family, how
2: did you become a Christian?
3: Well, when I was 10 years old and saw my daddy change miraculously, I accepted the Lord as my Savior at 10 years old, and then at 12 years old, um, the Lord called my dad to be a minister of the gospel, and that forever changed my life. That just solidified uh, my walk with the Lord. Because uh, at that point, we began planting churches and the projects and in the rough side of town. And, you know, I was part of the team, my mom and dad, and um, put the uh, the uh, songbooks out in the seats every Sunday and clean the bathrooms. And Daddy would cut the grass and uh, pass out quarters to the kids in the projects to get them to come to Sunday school the next day. And, you know, it was just an awesome life. It's my favorite memories of my life.
4: Linda, and Linda, you mentioned two people that were influential as you grew up, your mother and, and my daddy. Okay, thank you, of course.
2: Well, and you have a fondness for singing, don't you?
3: Oh, yes, I do, Danny. I never feel closer to the Lord than when I'm singing to him. And I actually sang before I spoke. My mother tells me that when I began to uh, come to my little time as a nine-month-old baby to speak, I sang songs to her. So the Lord had sent that into my spirit, I guess, before
1: he sent me here. And you even had the privilege of singing with world-famous groups like the Temptations and Alabama? (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs)
3: Yes, I sang uh, the national anthem and did a Christmas uh, celebration on the steps of the state capitol in Alabama with um, Alabama, and then uh, for the Alabama Youth Home, uh, we invited the Temptations to come, and uh, we went on the stage and sang, uh, God is good all the time, all the time, He is good, and it was quite a wonderful, exciting night. (laughs)
1: How did it make you feel to be on stage with uh, such uh, such legendary uh, groups, Danny? It makes me
3: feel. It made me feel like this phone call with you and Suzanne makes me feel in this small little life of just being ordinary, or thinking your life does not matter, or what you have is not valuable to give to the world may be crushed, or you know just things not being anything more than survival, there I stood on that stage with those people and the gifts God's given me to be able to perform with legends and stars and fabulous, talented people. I could feel no more joyful in those situations than I do right now. And this brings tears to my eyes to be on this phone call with you and Suzanne and see where you were connecting us and Hawaii and Massachusetts and Alabama, about to hear a story of my life, and when I was in that story, literally living that story, thinking our life is over, our life is literally over, and today to be here for you to be inquiring to share this story of hope, people, I am almost speechless with tears in my eyes.
1: Mm. Dear one, today as you listen to as you listen to our time together with uh, Linda Oliver, Suzanne Maurer, and I, in our hearts, uh, yearning and desire for you is that you would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not yet come to know Him, at the same time, if you're already walking with the Lord, that this sharing moment of Linda, as she shares heart to heart with us, with you you would be inspired, that you would be encouraged, that you would be built up in our time together. When we come back from our break, Linda will share a story about her daughter. And uh, I want you to brace yourselves. I want you to uh, buckle your seatbelt because you're going to be in for a, a ride. You think about people and the things that they go through sometimes you make comparisons. I know I do that from time to time. God uses those things to put my life in perspective quite often. And uh, in that moment of regaining perspective, there's a certain level of tension. And the tension often leads to uh, a point of humility, a point of brokenness. And you know what? A tension that leads to a point of thankfulness for what God is doing, what God will do. Stay with us. We'll be back.
4: Wandering the road of desperate life aimlessly beneath the barren sky Leave it to me, I'll lead you home
1: James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. Mae Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you.
0: Hear me calling. Hear me calling. You're listening to the good life with Dr. Danny a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today.
1: Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome back to our show. Today, we're reaching into the vault for a classic interview when I hosted this show in Hawaii. I'm joined with my co-host, Suzanne Maurer. Please enjoy. Linda Oliver. Shares her story of uh, what she experienced as a mother, Mm -hmm. mother to her daughter, Ashley. It was
3: Columbus Day, October 11th. It was an ordinary day. I worked that day. I had decorated a dining room for a client and was loading the car with my leftover cans of paint, beautiful hand-finished project, and headed home. And Ashley called and asked if she could borrow my car for the evening to go to a meeting with some friends, which was very unusual because she had her own brand new car uh, that she'd gotten for her sixteenth birthday. And um, of course, I said yes. A little curious about why she would want to use my car, I asked her um, what was there a special reason, and she said, I, "I don't know. I just would like to take your car." So uh, they were waiting on me as I got home and. Um, Went to the meeting and then came back in a couple of hours. um, I was preparing to go to bed. And um, a little while later, after some TV, she said she would take her friend home, be back shortly. And I went to bed. And at 11.16 p.m., the phone call came that no mother or father ever, ever wants to receive. And it was her friend, actually, who said, Mrs. Oliver, um, have you heard from the hospital? And I said, well, no. And she said, um, well, Ashley's been in an accident. And I truly almost laughed. I thought they might be playing a joke on me. You know how kids do. And so uh, when I thought it might be a joke, she said, you need to head to the hospital. And as she was saying that, uh, another call beat in. And I could see by the phone ID, it was the University of Alabama in Birmingham Hospital calling in. And I took the call, and they, too, said, you need to come to the hospital. Be careful. And I was trying to find out, is she okay? Is she okay? And they just said, just drive carefully. So I rushed uh, to the ER entrance and made my way down a hall that uh, seemed like a a dream, a dream. Not overly alarmed, though, Danny, because we were strong girls. Um, Our dreams had been shattered. Uh, About seven years prior to that night, um, shattered never to be uh, reestablished when her father and my husband um, had made choices that the enemy presented that uh, broke our hearts and tore our family apart. So we were not quick to overreact. And I thought maybe, you know, broken arm or, you know, a scratch. And I couldn't find her. And as I ran down those corridors that suddenly became in slow motion, like in the movie, um, a nurse looked over at me and I said, I'm Linda Oliver. I'm looking for my daughter. Where is she? And she just shook her head, no. And I knew what she was saying was, she didn't make it. Is that what she's trying to say to me? So I'm dashing down the hall searching, and I saw a lot of commotion in front of me uh, people in scrubs and doctors and stretchers and men in uniforms, and I quickly pulled up as close as I could to see what was going on there. Maybe that was Ashley, and I couldn't see anything stretching to see over their shoulders. All I could see was blood and stained sheets and emergency people yelling and beepers and um, directives, and someone behind me put his arms around me and pulled me a little back, and was whispering in my ear that he was the first responder that had come to Ashley and, and seen her and, and gotten her to the hospital, and he simply said, "Mrs. Oliver, it's not good, but she is in the best possible place for help." And he said, "I'm going to try to get you up a little closer to see if you can get a glimpse of her." And he worked his way up and I couldn't see her and finally I saw her foot. Suzanne, I saw her foot, and I knew that foot. I mm. know her feet anywhere. That foot, I counted those toes when she was born. Mm. I bought the first baby shoes for those feet. I bought her cleats when she played t-ball, and it was bloody, and that's all I could see, and they said I had to move. So he pulled me back, and they eventually left. What I didn't know that night was that Ashley had Uh, hydroplaned, coming down a curve, Mm. a slick curve. They called it the death trap. There were some hazards and some problems in that asphalt, owned by three municipalities, which it seemed no one wanted to take this full responsibility for the repair, so it was left as a death trap. Others had been killed there before Ashley's accident, and she hydroplaned and took out a rail, hit two trees head on, and slipped 50 feet to the creek bank car stopped just before the creek bank. She had hit the mirror. She hit the steel beam in the car, was forcefully sent back enough that her head crashed the back passenger window. And when they found her, her head was under the car. Her body was still in the car, and the car was on its side. God had placed a flat rock underneath that car that night that kept the car from completely crushing her skull. And as she lay there in that situation, a neighbor found her. The ambulance came and got her, and um, I was sent away. They said, I had to go to the waiting room. Um, There's waiting rooms in life that we Mm -hmm. don't like. Many, Many sad things in a waiting room, waiting for a miracle or for God to turn around something in your life. But I tried to make my way to the waiting room, and one of the nurses stopped me, and she said, where did you park? I could hardly hear her talking because by now, my ears are muffled and my head is throbbing and I'm, I'm unable to function. And she said, you'll have to move your car. You parked in the ER zone, you have to move your car. Well, I had no...
1: Something is going to be explained by Linda about what took place when she moved, when she moved her car. She talked about waiting rooms. Waiting rooms in life, uh, those moments when it it's like uh, you, you're in suspended animation, you don't know what's going to happen next, you just know that your head is throbbing and you're in sort of a state of shock well of course, in her case, she was in a state of shock uh, what what came to mind is you heard Suzanne, you heard Linda sharing this part of her story well, first of all, it had
4: seemed surreal to her what she was experiencing, but the heartbreak for me was that she barely got to see her daughter, just the foot, and then was ushered back away, and now a nurse is stopping her and talking to her, and her mind just had to be racing. I'm sure she didn't want to leave her daughter's side, but there's more to come with what happened with what the nurse is announcing mm-hmm. about where did you park your car?
1: We also need to keep, keep in mind that uh, she's not standing there with her husband or others to give her uh, emotional support. Exactly. She's there alone. Yes. Yes. And I don't know if in times of life's journey you feel all alone. In moments of uh, shock or transition or disappointment, you feel like no one else is there. Well, sometimes people are there, and you still feel alone. But in Linda's case, no one was there. And Danny, did we share that Ashley is an only
4: child? Only this child? was her only child. I mean,
1: imagine the, 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 the preciousness of Ashley. Well, Linda Oliver will be back in this pre-recorded interview with Linda, sharing her story heart-to-heart with us. Dear one. Are you in the waiting room of life right now? Are you in that moment of suspended animation in this period right now? Well, the Lord in these times is still moving, is still at work, as it were, because of his plan and purpose for you. Now, the thing about Linda is that it's much more than just what God did for her, it's what God continues to
2: do through her in her life. Yes. Using
1: her through broken moments, through faith-building moments, as God will use you, dear friend. Through broken moments, through trying times, God is preparing to use you in ways you would have never imagined. New dimensions are being added to your life when it seems like it isn't. We're here to remind you. And Linda is here to tell us. Indeed, it is dimensions added to your life. Stay with us. We'll be back. Wandering the
4: road of desperate life aimlessly beneath the barren sky
1: Leave it to me. Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. In what way have you seen God work powerfully in your life? Do you have a story to share about God's provision and deliverance? Have you experienced God's healing? Do you have a testimony that will encourage others? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. I want to share your story on our radio podcast. Please visit drdanny.live and share your Jesus story by clicking on the link at the top left of the home page. If you'd like to share your testimony in the form of a letter, Send your correspondence to Formation Institute, P.O. Box 381 Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238. That's Formation Institute, P.O. Box 381 Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238. Hear me,
0: call thee. Hear me call thee. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today.
1: Danny Yamashiro here, welcome back to our show. Today, we're reaching into the vault for a classic interview when I hosted this show in Hawaii. I'm joined with my co-host, Suzanne Maurer. Please enjoy.
3: I had no husband. I had my mom and dad very sick. I'd been caring for them now for seven years. They were so sick. And alone, I tried to find my way back to my car. And in searching for a, a parking deck, I had taken an Ambien to try to sleep. You see, after our dreams were shattered, I couldn't sleep at night. I had to be on guard all those years to protect mm-hmm. us. And so the doctor had tried. An ambient to set some pattern of sleep as possible. So there was an ambient in my system, and trying to fight that to think and you knowing my daughter is dying. They said she would not live thirty minutes.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: I, uh, in my search to find the parking deck, I thought I'd made a, a bad turn and, and reversed. Tried to make the turn, and I hit a curb, and my car went up and hit two trees in the median. And Danny forever, I will ask the Lord when I see him, how in the world does a car hit a curb in a downtown road, immediate, and send you airborne? My car flipped twice in the air on that downtown street. And when I came to, I was laying in a shattered bed of glass, sunroof under me, and the car was crushed. And um, I came to searching for my phone and just trying to find a way to get in touch with 911. I lay there for quite some time wondering how I would get back to my car.
2: This is when you're trying to find a parking. Yes. I was searching for the parking deck. Linda, how old was Ashley at that time?
3: Suzanne, Ashley was 22 years old. She was attending Auburn University. She was in her uh, second or third year. And you know when they're 16 and get their driver's license you watch to stand at the window and wait for them to come in and mm-hmm. pray the whole time they're gone? And she was 22, so she had already moved into an apartment as a student. She's would made that trip from Auburn to Montgomery, I mean to Birmingham, many times successfully. So I wasn't as on guard as I was when she was
2: younger. So mm-hmm. when that call came, it was a shock to get a call at twenty two. So now you're you're in a wreck, and she's in the hospital. Oh, yeah. uh, what, what happened?
3: What happened? <laughs> there I lay in the pitch black of night, and I finally was able to reach around, and the Lord or an angel so placed my phone right beside me, and I tried to feel the numbers to dial nine one one, place the call. And I heard a voice outside of a gentleman saying, oh, my God, there's somebody still in that car. And I looked over as best I could, and I saw a white gentleman in a suit with an umbrella and a black gentleman in street clothes. And the white gentleman had held his umbrella over the other man. And I don't know why that place such a visual in my mind. But right there in that moment of such destruction and fear, there were two people from two different walks of life unified in that moment to help someone they didn't even know. And so he said to me, yelling out across from the sidewalk, We've called 911, help is coming. Well, there was a flicking red light and smoke everywhere in that car that made me think the car was on fire. So I'm um, struggling uh, to turn myself over and drag myself forward, uh, which I'm crawling in the area where there should have been a console. However, the console's hanging from the ceiling above me now. And Mm -hmm. I've got to make a turn when I get to the front of the car to get to the driver's window to try to get out. And the steering wheel hanging from the ceiling did not allow enough space for me to get through. So I had to Drag myself sideways, and with every second that I'm trying to get to a place to crawl out or, or get out, I'm trying to go to sleep. I cannot stay awake. And for a couple of minutes, I just am falling asleep, trying to wake myself up. My god, I have got to get out of here! My child from the hospital, she's dying. So I get to the window. There was about an eight-inch opening where the car had crushed itself to the pavement, and I'm struggling to try to work to get through that opening, and I hear the sirens. And to fast forward, they worked with the car to cut the door to get me out, put me on a board, and were racing me to the ambulance. And I'm saying to them, I can't go, I can't go, I've got to go to UAB. It wasn't the hospital on call that night, so I'm saying, please, thinking I'm yelling to them, please, I've got to get to my daughter at UAB. And finally, one rescuer must have heard me, and I said, Sir, if if you don't let me go, I'm going to have to get off the stretcher and walk to the hospital. I have to go now. So after signing many, many papers to release them of liability, I headed towards my car and realized I can't. that car is crushed upside down. I can't even drive it. I had to backtrack and go to the policeman and ask if he'd take me to the hospital, and he did, and I get back. And at that point, it's not good. The doctor said the tests we have found are not good, and we don't expect her to make it. They allowed me to look at her for a minute and then sent me back to the waiting room where I sat and waited and waited for what seemed an eternity. A nurse came and got me finally and took me to an area where they were still trying to stabilize her, and told me that Ashley had taken several blows to the head, that she'd suffered a moderate to severe head trauma. Her ribs were all broken to pieces, to pieces except six in the entire rib cage. She had punctured lungs. Her face was almost taken off and ears severed, crushed pelvis, neck broken in two places, back broken in three places, there was no hope for her whatsoever, and um, I still had to wait another time until they finally let me try to get up closer to her, and I stumbled on something and looked down, and it was jugs connected to like large hose pipes that went up under the cover. Blood was almost filling those jugs, and I took my hand and followed those pipes up to my daughter's chest where the blood was pouring out of her body. They'd already given her five blood transfusions. She'd coded three times. And um, when I saw my daughter, I couldn't believe what I saw. Um, yes, our dreams were shattered. And my only child, my precious possession, life hung in the balance.
2: Like, right. Let's, uh,
1: you know, we want to find out what happened to Ashley through such a horrific Horrific uh, vir- virtually unspeakable uh, ordeal uh, with the addition of your own situation that uh, almost comes at us like a blur in the midst of the trauma, trauma upon trauma. And so when we come back, let's talk about that and also how through these ordeals, somehow, somehow, uh, God began to speak to you. And, and, and give you vision for uh, a life of service, a life of providing hope, hope uh, in Christ to um, to other family members in desperate situations. Dear friend, as you listen to Linda Oliver today, uh, it might seem to you like um, words are... are, are, are are so weak in terms of its ability to communicate the trauma, the tragedy. And Linda yet has done such a picturesque job in allowing us to see what took place. But when words fail, there's God. Stay with us. Hi,
4: this is
1: Danny Yamashiro. A woman in Boston recently told me, I listen to your program every day and was inspired by the man who became an NFL quarterback. A person in Orlando said, I heard your podcast of the man who came to God during the Jesus movement. Another friend said, that pastor who gave one of his organs to a boy without ever meeting the child touched me about Jesus' love. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is made possible through Financial Partners. Would you consider sending a gift to keep our program going? Podcasts have been downloaded in 49 states and 35 nations in the last six months. Please help us expand our reach. Go to drdanny.live and click support this media ministry. That's drdanny.live and click support this media ministry.
0: You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today.
1: Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome back to our show. Today, we're reaching into the vault for a classic interview when I hosted this show in Hawaii. I'm joined with my co host, Suzanne Maurer. Please enjoy. Linda, tell us what happened. How did the Lord intervene
2: and save Ashley's life?
3: My daughter was laying there, that petite little beautiful girl, my only child, connected to life support. The machine the that swoosh, swoosh, breathing breath because she couldn't breathe for herself. Life support, she's in a coma. Just laying there. And it was at that moment, all of those memories of my mother's times that we sat in the hall as little children and prayed. My mother and daddy had been the strength in our prayers. They were the ones we ran to when we needed prayer. I was suddenly standing there stripped naked before God. I was the one who now had to pray. Did I know how to pray? Could I pray hard enough? Could I? Be strong enough in my connection to God. This was my child. What a test when the most horror of tragedies comes into your life, and you are the only one that is there and prayer is needed. So I began to call on God. I realized at that, that moment, in my mind's eye, I would be taking the hand of her spirit and reaching up to the throne of God to grab his foot, his ankle, to hold on as a bridge between earth and heaven and standing in faith for my daughter's life. Mm
2: -hmm. And I
3: cried out to God. And for days and days, there was no hope, no hope. A month has gone by in that waiting room, hearing all kinds of things that we deal with, the challenges of of, the raging illness. And they even took me to the chapel one day and said, we know you're praying. We see that you're praying, but we need to talk to you. And the lady with the clipboard was standing behind them. I didn't know who she was, but it was bothering me. And I finally interrupted and said, who is she? And the doctor introduced us. She stepped forward. She had come for Ashley's organs. And I said, no, no, not now, not now. So the doctor said, you know, we know you believe that God is going to save your child. But if God were to answer your prayers, let us just share a little bit about the best that answer could be. She will be a vegetable the rest of her life, she will not be able to function. She will need this machinery to survive, and you cannot, you cannot afford her medical care as a single mom. Is this what you want? Well, that set me back. Suzanne, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to respond. And then the big question came when the surgeon said, have you considered what Ashley would want? What would your daughter want? Would she want that life?"
2: Oh Danny, I was
3: uh, dumbfounded. I had no words. Of course, my daughter, would she want that life? She was an athlete. <laughs> she loved sports. She was healthy. She was a go-getter, type A personality, very smart. Life was full. Could she survive that? I don't know. Would she want that? I wouldn't want it. So without letting that come into my heart, I had to ponder these things in my heart, maybe like Mary when the angel came, and it might have been such a moment as that when the impossible faced Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mm -hmm. she had to ponder these things in her heart. So I did that, and I prayed, and I continued to pray, but it was then I spilled under the staircase, totally worn out and spilled out. I didn't even have words to pray, and I simply said, Father, I have no words. And I certainly do not have the wisdom to know how to pray. Your will be done. And when you say your will be done, that's after you have considered the fact that she could die and would die based on the scientific record. Mm -hmm. I had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and offer my child up in death, if that so be the Lord's will. My friend prayed with me that day, and she was leaving for a missions trip, and she said, in three days, Ashley's going to wake up. And I didn't even uh, count the days. I was not even aware of days passing. But as it turned out, on the third day, I walked in her room, and her hands and feet were always tied to the bed, but not this day. The reason I know is because as I glanced back at her, I thought I saw a tear running down her cheek. Well, that was impossible. She's in a coma. And as I'm processing this, I see tears pouring down both of my daughter's cheeks. She's weeping. And I see her hands begin to shake. And they start to raise up, shaking, like a little baby's breathing up for a mom or dad to pick me up, pick me up. And as that happening, her hand reach over and she does this little motion where she touches one hand and then another and then she does this big symbol with her hand. I don't know what she's trying to say and as she's finishing that symbol, her eyes open and they're smiling. She's looking straight at me and her eyes are smiling at me and she knows me and she knows where she is And I'm beeping the nurse, trying to calmly say to my daughter, who's been asleep, you're in the hospital, all is well. I'm just going to beep the nurse to get her to come in and help explain things. And Nurse Jennifer comes in, and I'm saying, she's trying to tell us something. She's she's trying to say something. By then, Nurse Jennifer has beeped the surgeon, and doctors are lining up, teams are lining up outside the hall with clipboards and beepers and phones. The girl, the patient has awakened from the coma. Impossible. And Jennifer, nurse, comes over and I show her what I think I've seen. And she says, this is sign language. Do you know sign language? No. Neither one, Ashley nor I, know sign language. Mm. And she says, what you have shown me is, Jesus, I love you and I am overcome by grace of an unseen father who has come to earth and captured me in his arms. And it's like I felt in the Bible when the Lord went and the father said, come and pray. My daughter is dead. Please come and pray. Mm -hmm. And the Lord simply said, arise, daughter. I believe the Lord himself was saying to my athlete, arise, daughter. And she woke up like a sleeping beauty. And in her awakening back here with us in a consciousness was saying, Jesus, I love you. As if she was completing a conversation she had with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And she was back with us. And that was hope that filled a hospital room. That hope traveled down the corridors of that medical facility. People were touched in places I could have never reached as the Holy Spirit took that word throughout that facility. And the next morning when I walked in, I laid my hand on her head, and it was warm. And I said, what is this? Why is she so warm? And the nurse said, I know, I know, she's a little warm, little low-grade fever. We're going to take care of that. We're going to, um, we're giving her something, and, you know, a lot of times, Intense pain will cause that, and she's aware now, so perhaps the pain is driven, the blood pressure and fever. The fever went up, 103, 104, 105, Mm -hmm. because they had told me, as they told me there was no hope in that meeting in the chapel, if you must pray, pray she not get infection. And I prayed, and I begged God not to let her get infection. Well, by the next morning, she was developing pneumonia in both lungs, infection was racing in her body and another infection that I have it in the book that I'm writing now that uh, it's a medical term and it's a fatal infection Um, it had all grasped her body the enemy was not satisfied until he took her life out so as it were they packed my daughter and I and we prayed and we were back in the waiting room that beautiful hope that was surging the hall was now challenged once again by the enemy in the pit of hell. Well, the Lord was victorious. And as they pumped antibiotics in that body and we prayed, he came through those infections and she was doing just great. And we went home one week later. She was still with a collar, cervical collar, because they had her ready to connect back to life support. Felt like she'd be back shortly in an emergency. They wouldn't allow her to walk because of crushed hips and lungs and so forth could not walk they had her own feeding tube and we went home and that began my care of this broken
1: child linda linda goes on to talk about in the brokenness of ashley how strong-willed she was in not wanting to have a ramp built at the house so that she could go up on uh, with the wheelchair, mm-hmm. remember she yes. wanted to have a yes. actually work her way up by herself, yes, slow as it would be, but to be able to get up there on her own, uh, strong will, yes, and strongly sustained by the grace of God. The beauty of it for me, Danny, is
4: that honestly, there are even Christians today that don't believe that miracles still happen today. And this is an incredible, true miracle story that did happen, and through prayer and God's amazing grace and uh, restoration, um, He's going to answer those prayers for Linda. Miracles do happen today, and we we just need to hear these stories to be encouraged by them.
1: Linda speaks with a with a certain compelling simplicity and uh, profoundness because of her experiences in the heat of the battle, the spiritual battle, a moment of uh, such despair. Today, someone might be in despair. Yes. And uh, how do you feel Linda's story could apply to someone in that moment of pain?
4: Well, my hope is that they're hearing The power of prayer, the necessity of prayer, uh, in a sense, the privilege of prayer and the answer to prayer. And and we just need to share stories and, and reach out to more and more people to encourage them that we serve a God that can do anything and his love never leaves us. He's got a purpose and a plan. But when things go horrifically wrong, which is what happened for Linda, prayer. She she had been raised on prayer. She believes in prayer. She had people around her praying. And she remembered her, what her parents yes. had always done. Yes, exactly. In her years growing up. Yeah. But, I mean, even listening to the time frame, it's sounding to me like a, about a week after she came out of the coma, uh, Ashley is heading home. This is absolutely mirac- miraculous.
1: Mm-hmm. And the medical professionals are able to, to see. They want to, but certainly document what's taking place because it's not supposed to happen.
4: Well, and, like and she mentioned it throughout the hospital. People are just amazed. They're dumbfounded. This can't be possible. And yet Ashley's getting ready and going home.
1: I understand. There's a certain level of, uh, from a medical standpoint, they need to to have things level off in the way uh, that they communicate to families. But still, in Christ, we always have hope for the miracle working power of God, even as uh, we hear today in this story of Linda Oliver. Uh, Dear friend, there's always a m- Story to tell. There's always more to what's going on, and and Linda has seen Ashley recover. Mm-hmm. She's experienced the 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 fullness of God's grace up to this point in her life, and seeing what God is able to do in the life of her dear daughter, my friend. What God can do in your life, what God can do in the lives of those who you love so dearly. Uh, this is a testament of what He can do in and through you. Encouragement from Linda Oliver. God's timing is perfect, and there's no better time than right now to share the love of Christ with someone near you. And if you haven't done so, look, this might be that perfect moment to open your heart to Jesus. Would you do it. Go to drdanny.live for next steps and resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and major podcast platforms. Psalm 30, verse 4, Sing the praises of the Lord. You, His faithful people, praise His holy name. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Linda Oliver. Until next time, along with my co-host, Suzanne Maurer, Producer Brian Torres, Social Media Director Luke Yamashiro, Guest Coordinator Jan Yi, and Board Operator Joseph Valdivieso. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus With someone today.
0: Thank you for listening to today's broadcast